Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark, episode 236, Friday, April the 8th, 2022. So that's 08042022, Mark, that's... A, that's must mean something. I don't know what, but it must mean something. I'll t- t- take off Mr. <laughs> intro guy. This could be an interesting recording, this one, Mark. Um, we're, we're a little bit challenged with our with our remote um, podcast skills <laughs> with this, or you certainly are. Um, and I'm we'll see great, how we go. I'm so great how, now. I how was are just you, Mark? Uh, um, regaling you with stories before we started of um, of us camping on a site that had had previous serious um, fire problems and, and our campfire was getting a bit out of control. So I've been running you decided around. decided to start a fire. The adrenaline's just coming That's down. Right. I heard a few few choice words there, Mark, and a few slamming um, bits and pieces while you left the microphone on there. But good to see you've put the fire out and good to see um, – Everything's starting to settle down. Yes, it's um. Well, I tell you what, I'm looking forward to. Um, I may as well mention it now. But it's a little bit of a plug. The unusual pet and avian veterinarians group that we are part of have our annual conference occurring in July, Mark. And I know that you are planning to be there, and so am I. And it is in Darwin. Northern Australia, so it's going to be fantastic to catch up with everybody. It'll be our first conference since the COVID hit, um, and you, um, you may not recognise me, and, and vice versa, Mark. Um, it's been two. Couple, oh, actually, no, you came and visited us a, a month ago, forgot, didn't you? I understand yeah, that. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll withdraw that, but I'm really looking forward to it. So, um, any of our overseas lis- listeners who are Thinking of coming to Australia, Mark, they should uh, come and join us at our conference. And if you want more information, it'll be an outstanding, like an outstanding return to the whole face-to-face thing. It's been one of my, um, you know, concerns that um, our Zoom conferences, while they're good and they've worked for us during COVID, all that non-verbal communication, I'm keen to get back to it, Brendan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we, we're going to be very punchy today, but you said you had a bit of a review before we jump into a couple of news stories here, and it was also well, something non-veterinary related, but a particular TV series that you, well, um, it's or a, a streaming I, I, um, series that you enjoyed. Well, Kate and I have been travelling. We've been listening to audiobooks, and um, we've we've discovered the pleasure of, of whacking those on as we drive around. And one of the series which we... Um, got all the way through all the available ones on uh, audiobooks is um, yeah, the Reacher books. Now they they I know they're not highbrow, and I know they're um, they're uh, what what's the the genre? Air airport fodder. Um, but I really enjoy the sort of um, the the a little bit um, um, uh, of 
unrealistic physical vibe. Yeah, exactly. You just follow the story and let Switch your imagination off. go. And and recently there were a couple of Tom Cruise movies um, which were made uh, along the lines of some of the books and um, that caused some controversy. And then just recently um, there has been uh, – Reach has been played by um, a, a much more – uh, typical uh, archetype, you know, the thing about Reacher, he's six foot six in the books. And so Tom Cruise never made a very, uh, very, very good um, uh, representation. And Alan Rickston is still actor less than who, that, yes. uh, who played Reacher in the recent, um, I think it was a Amazon Prime um, series and um, and I just wanted to Correct. Yes. Uh, say because you know when particularly with those uh, ones you don't have to think about too much you just follow the story um, often the the movie or television version is not nearly as good as the books but um but yeah I found uh, um, this uh, Alan Rixton version they were assiduously keen to replicate the nature of the books they stuck to the story um, which gave them you know rather than a movie length it was a six or seven episode series um, and I really really enjoyed it and um, and while like I said um, I wouldn't classify it as highbrow literature or highbrow TV viewing. It was very entertaining, Brendan. So I give it 8.6 out of 10. 8.6 out of 10. And I did happen to watch that series around about the time you did as well, Mark. And I must have been, I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. So, yes, I, I, I highly recommend it. Reach out the TV series. Well, not TV series. It's tr- streaming. We should put it down there, shouldn't we? Streaming series on Amazon Prime. Um, and we'll have a link to that at our website, vetgurus.com. Excellent, Mark. Um, <laughs> we, we I do have to remember, remember that it is a vet time. Podcast. Maybe not. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> No, that's all right. We need a bit of relaxation. Don't we? Balance, we need to get, Brendan, get take our balance. mind off the work um, a little bit. Exactly. So I'm going to jump into my news story. It's a bit of a long article, this, and we were just chatting about it off air, weren't we? It's a very good article. I think it was in the Good Weekend, which is part of um, um, the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age here as well in Melbourne. Um, papers and it's about uh malaysia's tigers and well i'm going to summarize it a little bit mark um basically there wasn't many left there were there's estimated to be about less than 200 remaining in the wild as as well as fewer than 10 in captivity uh, prompting grim warnings that the tiger would soon die out mark um and they're pretty striking these um these are the Malayan tiger. It's one of the six subspecies of tigers worldwide, and it's also featured on the country's coat of arms. And the whole story is about a, um, a well, it's basically an a, a economist, Mark, isn't it? Um, a trained economist who de- has devoted a lot of his work in life to conservation decided to do something about it, and he's worked out a way to engage the local villagers from um, the local tribes to be involved as as um, um, well um, to, 
to roam the jungle and, and, and become the Tiger Protection Society of Malaysia and training the, and employing them as park rangers. And it's been, by the look of it, um, a raging success, Mark, which is fantastic. And, um, yeah, um, and the villagers are, are being paid very well. And I think that's part of what's happening now, although, it, you know, if um, compared for our salaries in in the um, in um countries like ourselves where we're very lucky um it, it doesn't seem much but apparently it's a lot more here we go um they each receive on average 80 ringgit which is about 26 dollars a day when they're on patrol which is far in excess of what they would earn harvesting produce from the forest or working as a porter which what a lot of them do so um or did and the children have always have also been involved they're, they're getting the kids involved in in placing um over 400 cameras inside the area to to look for the poachers and that and um, um it was pretty amazing um some of the statistics there Mark, i'm not going to go through the rest of it but uh with with how many traps used to be set and how many traps they found and the traps are obviously pretty indiscriminate with what they would be catching as well but it's been a massive decrease of um what's been what's been um, found with the tracks and because the locals are there all the time um, and apparently the poachers usually spend you know several months trying to capture these tigers um, so having the locals there all the time has been part of it is a good news story brendan and um, so it's a good news story about ownership thing the fact that the locals the local tribes who live in that area, the locally Indigenous people were empowered to, um, uh, and rewarded financially for taking control and helping to solve the problem. It's just a win-win-win, I reckon. But the only thing I say, Brendan, is I've got one word for you, and that is covid I just hope that COVID hasn't been the reason that uh, poachers have been have not been travelling and not setting traps, and I hope this uh, this is a long term, um, you know, uh, solution, and that um, the results we've seen over the first little bit continue. Yes, good point, and they do briefly mention that, don't they, in a couple of paragraphs further down and they say look we need to wait another year or two before we can confirm that it's been a, a raging success but they do think it is working regardless of whether or not there's an influence with COVID, which i'm sure there is um, my one brendan is from um, science so that's News. my story mark it what have you got it's about a study um, um maria temming the reporter talks about a study where they look at you know um we often get to look at uh um, constricting snakes at work, and um, and I'm always fascinated to watch them do their thing with uh, prey. Now, in the wild, they um, you know restrict uh, an animal's ability to breathe and thereby kill it. But the the thing that researchers have been worried about is, or concerned about, or not understood is that if they're contracting sufficient to stop um, their prey from breathing, what stops them from dying at the same time they have to like um constrict as much on their lungs as um on the prey and the really interesting thing 
that they've discovered in a reported in researchers report in the Journal of Experimental Biology, uh, particularly John Capano from Brown University in Providence. Um, they wax some implants, metal implants in the ribs of boa constrictors, um, and then tracked those markers with X-ray video. Um, as they allowed the animals to uh, consume prey. And what they observed was the snakes could select which part of their rib cage um, they inflated their lungs. Now, I got that wrong, Brennan. They didn't allow their, their experimental patients to consume uh, uh, live prey. They used um, uh, pressure cuffs uh, placed around different parts of the animal's body and then looked at how the animal changed. And uh, when the snake had pressure cuffs around particular parts of the rib, um, mimicking the effect of the snake using that body to grip or gulp down prey, um, the snake would just move ribs over a different part of the lungs to expand and deflate them there. So, um, so the theory is that um, they can actually, you know, breathe through whichever bit of the lungs they want and making them being long and thin allows them to have quite a bit of extended lung to choose from so that's pretty impressive it does make it makes intuitive sense it makes sense doesn't it it all makes logical sense <laughs> yes but I, I was just looking at that article there i can't see the actual would have been a, a link to the actual video there it'd be interesting to see the video that that they were taking there um to in real time but um perhaps it's the link there is in the Journal of Experimental Biology paper there, Mark. So well done. Yes, and another, well, I suppose that's a positive news story. We'll find in, uh, out a little bit more about the world around us, um, how they can control their, their ribs and their, their, um, their respiratory tract when they're constricting. Excellent. Well, let's stay punchy. We're going to jump into our main news story this week, Mark, which is a, well, to, Another general one, isn't it? It's an overview <laughs> one of it now. Geriatric series, isn't it? It's one of our geriatric series, um, which is very appropriate for you and I these days. Um, we're talking about geriatric guinea pig care. And I think that this is a good one because it is a species that even general practitioners are, are seeing guinea pigs, even if they're not um, dead cane, exotic or unusual pet vets. And they're probably missing the fact that we do see some of these conditions very commonly um, in these older guinea pigs. So we're going to rip through these, Mark, and we're going to talk about the ones that we commonly see and, and our tips and tricks regarding them, Mark. So do you want to jump in and, and take the first um, <laughs> comment that we have there? The agenda. <laughs> oh, what if you've got the agenda was, in front was, of you. There's two things I was going to say <laughs> to start with, Brendan. The first one is that we definitely, people are caring for their guinea pigs better and better and spending more money on them, getting um, uh better enclosures they're not treated as disposable pets anymore so we are definitely seeing more and more aged guinea pigs guinea pigs getting to a significant age and people have a higher expectation of their care um, and just like any other species um, they things begin to get into trouble as they get older they get uh, wear and tear uh, um, problems with their organs with their joints um, but the key thing about all our exotic pets, and guinea pigs probably, you know, 
are very close to the top of the line here is that they can seal their clinical signs. When they have those uh, series of uh, common issues or problems that uh, develop as they get older, it is not, they don't screech out in, in well, they do screech out, but not in relation to the problem. Um, and so it's very, very important to be conscious of very, very yes. subtle signs that give us clues about some of these uh, common uh, problems that occur with them as they get old. So what sort of ones do you see, Brendan? Yep, you're spot on there, Mark. They get old, they wear out, just like any other species, don't they? Um, common signs we see with them or common issues and ones we um, think about trying to alleviate their issues um osteoarthritis mark i see a fair percentage of these older ones with creaky joints mark especially and i'll be interested to see what you say with this um the stifles are the joint that i always think of with these older guinea pigs they get these really and often you palpate those stifles and they're massively thick in there and marked markedly reduced range of motion and if you take radiographs of them and they well, they're what I call grotty joints, Mark. They're pretty grotty joints. There. Yes. Do you see it in that particular often the case that, joint, um, Mark? The range of movement is so decreased that it almost feels like the joints are fused and and uh, the guinea pigs seem to be only moving around uh, by moving their hips and their, their, um, uh, their hocks and the, you know, the, the extreme changes within the joints as you said radiographically evident changes are obviously affecting the animal's ability to move normally yes and it, i mean it's not just those joint but they're the ones that always jump out at me as as far as being very very common there um and we do see it in in the other joints in particular those hind limbs as well mark and you know my work up for these if we jump into sort of management of each individual one as we go i think would be um radiographs obviously um, um general examination full bloods on them as well when i bomb them out for those radiographs as well um and the good news with a i think a reasonable number of these mark if not a, a high percentage of them we can manage that um, condition in them fairly well and the common medications that i'm um, prescribing for these are the um, pentazan polysulfate um, injections so the once a week for four weeks dosages and um, that that course and then um, routine boosters after that i think with the reason why i was pausing there and trying to remember how often we tend to give it in most of these and i'd say on average it, um, it, it's more most common that they probably and get a booster exactly every month. And that's exactly the same as We often um, find that um, um, with our dogs, for example, we might give them that course of four and it might be six months or 12 months before the signs of osteoarthritis return with the guinea pigs where yes. indicating to our clients that they need to be prepared for those almost monthly boosters <laughs> as a routine thing. Yes, well... We're on the same page as usual there, Mark. And the other medication that's thrown in there, not necessarily thrown in there, Mark, is meloxicam. Seems to work well in, in helping um, give them good quality of life with this osteoarthritis. Again, like any non-steroidal anti-inflammatory or any medication, we want to double-check that we haven't got some of these other concurrent issues when we'll talk about the next the, the one that coming up next is, is one that we've got to be a bit careful about and that's renal 
failure, a renal compromise in them, and uh, and that might mean we're going to modify whether or not we are going to use that particular medication. Um, and I presume you to prescribe this as well, Mark, and, and um, perhaps you can also talk about other sort of uh, analgesics or, or pain relief sort of alleviating um, medications that you might consider using in them. Yes, sorry. Um, yes, we've got... Which uh, would be, you there? A, uh, uh, but the first thing, the other thing I was going to quickly <laughs> mention while we talk about that was um, that I'm often led to that osteoarthritis uh, diagnosis by problems with their feet. Um, I often have a difficult situation for the client when they come in with a foot problem, but they're, they're often those pressure sores on the feet are often the result of um, osteoarthritis issues, and I encourage everyone to look at those. And the- yes, and the other one, if we're on that track, Mark, those those guinea pigs with the wet bum. So the the chronic um, urine and or fecal scald around the backside because they've got sore legs, especially those back legs, they don't sit properly or squat properly to urinate or defecate because it hurts to do that. And we end up with those secondary problems as well. So always investigate the possibility that these animals have osteoarthritis if if um, if and they it have um, perineal scalding. Because we do see a significant number of these animals with renal issues, we are often not only relying on meloxicam. Um, you know, there are times when we might reduce the dose or we won't use it at all. And then we'll start looking at um, obviously managing the environment to decrease the the uh, likelihood that there's going to be pressure on those joints um, using softer bedding and all that sort of stuff. But we'll also employ um, drugs like uh, uh, gabapentin in particular. Um, I'm always careful with uh, analgesics um, in, uh, say, other species. I'd always be keen to give the tramadol a go in those that have renal disease. But in guinea pigs, I've had a little bit of... um, problem with tramadol leading to altered gastrointestinal function and um, and so I'm always a little bit cautious. Have you seen cases the same as that, Brendan? Um, I must admit I don't prescribe it that often these days with guinea pigs, so I'd have to have a bit of a look through the records whether or not they're, and I presume you're talking about ones that then develop a little bit of gut exactly. stasis or perhaps exactly. um, sloppy droppings or diarrhoea, is that what you're seeing? Yep. So, yeah, possibly, but I'd have to look through to confirm whether or not it's associated directly with that tramadol um, dispensing for those ones. So, yes, so the good news is um, the ones that respond well to um, the the booster pentasan injections and or the, the meloxicam or non-steroidal, assuming it's safe to use it, um, can often be on those medications for many months, if not longer than a year or so, Mark, and they seem to get some great improvement in their quality of life. So um, don't discount um, this condition in them. What's our we next condition, Mark? We've already hinted at it, renal compromise in them. who have issues with their kidneys um, and uh, whether they uh, develop renal failure or just renal compromise, um, it's something definitely to, to be on the alert for at um, any stage with a senior guinea pig. So what's your, how, how are we, again, we, being a guinea pig, they're often masking conditions, um, not any condition, being a guinea pig, and, and a prey species. Um, the, 
the one that screams renal disease to me is that that bony that that wasted guinea pig over several weeks or months mark um with the age guinea pigs is that um would that be the Definitely, first thing that pops uh, into your head with these suspect you think about water turnover whether they're drinking more or not but like you said it's it's a thing that they tend to conceal and so it it does tend to get to the point where they've they've um, switched metabolism they've become cachectic and all of a sudden those pelvic bones are poking out um, rather suddenly and and if you have that sudden weight loss and if you have clients who are good enough to record that weight um, then uh, uh, sudden weight loss would be something that we would immediately be looking to get some blood get some urine samples and assess the kidneys Yep. It's a bit of a tricky one, isn't it, assessing the, the urine of a guinea pig, not only because it's often sludgy or, and or the guinea pig doesn't want to give it up um, to you without a scream or a fight, um, is that interpreting the um, values such as urine-specific gravity in them. So it's a bit of a challenge, isn't it, with guinea pigs? So, so that's where I think we need to do it in conjunction with other things like making sure we do full bloods on them as part of the workup with this animal. So what's your what's your recommendations if we have diagnosed a renal compromise in a in a geriatric guinea pig mark? What are you saying to um, the we're, we're asking them to <laughs> you know how I usually communicate with clients like that. <laughs> um, we generally are trying to encourage them to uh, improve water turnover and, um, you know, uh, encourage them to maybe flavour the water, add uh, additional waterers to the enclosure to make sure that other pigs in the enclosure are not preventing access. Um, we've thought about at times uh, because of that extreme cachexia, um, we've considered the use of anabolic steroids in these guys, um, but generally it is just trying to manage the stress on their kidneys by managing uh, uh, fluid balance. Yep, guess what? Exactly the same that I recommend to the clients. And it's a, it's a frustrating one. Um, and like any renal compromised patient, I think it's really getting across to the client that, hey, we're not going to fix this and it's almost certainly going to go into progress no matter what we do, but we can want to try and slow down the progression of it and provide, again, quality of life for this animal for however long we can to... Um, before we have to do the inevitable with the mark. So yes, it, it's it, it's and and the you know trying a bit of diuresis, increasing water intake can be as simple as just wetting the vegetables, you know, and carry, um, perhaps feeding some more moisture content, higher moisture content um, food items to the mark, um, and making sure that. There's obviously water available at all times and, and, and more than one water source um, in case they spill one or block up those little sippers. Um, yeah, so renal, renal compromise is certainly something we we see pretty frequently in these old piggies, Mark. What else do we see in them that, that um, pops into your um, they, they, obviously, the um, uh, hold males, and, and we mentioned before that um, we'll often find, um, you know, that they have a little bit of a, a untidy rear end because of the nature of the body shape of guinea pigs. Um, but that, in the case of these old males, um, that can extend to 
um, that extreme situation where stools are trapped in the um, perirectal tissue and we end up with uh, the condition known as bore butt. I, I love the way it's such a descriptive, um, inelegant term, um, but it describes it perfectly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's I right. We Kate, could hear the wind, I told you it was very windy here, and that set the fire off. And so. Kate's just closing up the uh, our <laughs> um, soundproof booth, so 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 we um, don't have the whistling of the wind. Thanks, Kate. <laughs> I, I, I thought she might have been hopping into a jumpsuit there, Mark. I'm ready for a night out here at the disco. Um, so apologies to our listeners if you're distracted then, but um, it's all part of the part of the ambiance, isn't it, Mark? Um, yes. So bore butt, yes, it's a, it's a great term, isn't it? And, and it explains With your fingers, apparently. So how it's do we manage large. bore butt, Mark? It's it's the difficult thing is that um, is that that uh, out pocketing that pouching around the um, the backside of the mail. Um, there's pretty much nothing that you can do to stop it, and the accumulation of stools that occurs there, they really have to be gently cleaned and uh, um, massaged out, um, <laughs> drawn out of the area, and the area has to be cleaned on a regular basis. Um, yeah, there's the, it's a very difficult problem because there's just not much you can do besides getting your fingers in there and cleaning it up. Yes, it's it's uh, manual labour, isn't it? And it varies on that. Some of them, it's every day you have to end up, you know, or the owner ends up having to clean out their bum. And at other times, it's, um, you know, they might get away with once every, I don't know, once a week or something like that with it. Um, Prevention-wise, I suppose, we, I suppose we should um, mention that if they are de-sexed, these entire males that are, Fairly early age, um, it does decrease dramatically. Does chances, does seem to be a testosterone-related um, condition, so, doesn't um, it, Brendan? Now, the, the interesting thing for me is that yep. um, those first three that we've discussed, I think it's really important to emphasise what you've said a couple of times, that um, with appropriate management and appropriate client motivation, um, it's quite possible for the guinea pigs to live even with multiple ones of, of those uh, um, issues for a long time. It's surprisingly long time. So I think it's very good to um, to get in there and and uh, and tr- put those relatively simple things in place, particularly with your motivated clients. But this next one, Brendan, I if you're thinking of the same thing that I'm thinking of, um, it is often complicated and difficult and sometimes we don't get a long-term outcome for our guinea pigs when they've got this problem correct dental disease yes and it's it is frustrating isn't it dental disease in in guinea pigs when we have the classic cheek teeth problems um primarily in these older ones and once you get that diagnosis with them, yeah, it's not it's not long, is it, um, typically, uh, even with aggressive reshaping in of the teeth and, and a full workup, which includes radiographs of the head or, or dental radiographs with them and managing it with pain relief and or supplemental feeding if they're struggling to eat um, initially. Um, 
it tends to come back pretty damn quick, doesn't it, um, with, a, with a fair percentage of these. Um, and we're repeating the dental treatment again within several weeks, um, certainly well before a month with some of these and, and or starting to think about the big questions about and there, whether and or it's not a little we should bit be frustrating because uh, I find if we're talking about rabbits as a, a comparative species, we get um, a significant um, improvement and long-term outcomes with rabbits that have dental disease. But um, the number of guinea pigs that we get out for a long time is much, much smaller. We do get some. It's not without hope. But, geez, some of them are, as you said, uh, uh, back within a relatively short period of time. And, and you need to prepare the owners for that. Um, uh, that um, that there is, we can put everything in place. But often by the time we can see changes to those cheek teeth, there are structural changes to the jaws and, and, uh, and we're going to be in a difficult position to get things just right. Yes, and there's some great retrospective studies, including one by our friend Deborah Monks up in Brisbane who, who looked back on their guinea pig cases and it it's pretty grim reading, wasn't it, Mark? Um, with the with the likelihood that the vast majority of them wouldn't be around within well three months or so, I think. It, um, so it's a, it's not great, but um, yeah. So the dental disease ones are a lot poorer prognosis um, compared with those other three that we've mentioned that you can often manage um, longer term. The renal one, you know, sort of in between, I suppose, because some of them do continue to go downhill and can rapidly, um, you know, fall in a heap with them. And I think what one of the points we always make is making sure that these animals are checked at least every month, Mark, um, and, and reassessing not just the condition we've got, but the overall quality of life of the animal there and, and also how the owners are coping with it as well because sometimes, you know, the owner may not be quite coping at it at all and that's where we have to make decisions based on the overall setup at home and how everything's it is happening. A, I was, I was um, just going to say that it's a, them, um, um, it's a much easier thing with uh, the... And they're often highly motivated clients, but it's a much easier thing to switch them to those monthly checks if they've had a lifetime of um, regular veterinary care and regular veterinary wellness exams for their guinea pigs. And I and the, they're one species that I don't think it's best practice to wait for an annual examination. I think you have got to get in when they're young once every six months or even more frequently. And if you do those more frequent examinations and you are regularly checking, you know, the the uh, looking at the joints and uh, checking the kidneys, then um, it doesn't come as nearly as much of a surprise um, when the guinea pigs are of a certain age and there's more that the owners need to do. Yep. I agree totally. So that's getting to the. I mean, there's a whole lot of other issues that and disease processes that might be happening with the, those geriatric guinea pigs, but they're the ones that stand out for both of us uh, as far as what we commonly see and the ones that we're trying to to manage and and provide a bit better quality of life and prolonging their life. Um, but 
then it all gets back to preventative health, Mark, doesn't it? And and trying to pick up these conditions, like any condition, um, at, um, in the early stages and maximising the chance that we can slow the progression of them. So that's regular health checks. It's doing things like considering, and I generally recommend for guinea pigs to my clients that they start thinking about doing blood and or urine screens. Um, um, definitely when they're heading around about three years of age, Mark, upwards. Um, no, it's do about you, the same Do you start stage suggesting that earlier than that or not? To do those more extensive investigations into in the, the kidneys and consider radiographs um, as well. And, um, and if we do have to um, give them a short sedative or anaesthetic to obtain blood, then obviously we're having a more detailed look at the teeth. Yep, yep. Excellent. Yes, well, there we go. That's a pretty reasonably punchy, wasn't it, <laughs> outline of some of the things we see in, in geriatric guinea pigs, but it's um, a good thing that we can provide some quality care. And like you mentioned halfway through our little chat here, Mark, that it's amazing how many of them do manage to to cope quite well but thrive, Mark, um, with those conditions for several months, if not several years, if if things all fall into place with, with that particular individual. So, yes. Any final comments no. before we head off? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time